Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Shit Talking Banter podcast. Today's guest is the lead singer of the band Weedus. In today's episode, we talk about the foreman of the band, we talk about the significance of the song Teenage Dirtbag, and we also have a lot of shit talk. Um, if you haven't already, please go over to the new Instagram page and give us a follow over there, and also if you can go on to YouTube and subscribe. Uh, but other than that, enjoy the episode. Thanks. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Shit Talking Banter Podcast. Today my guest is Brandon Brown from the band Weedus. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, I like the background. Is this currently your uh, fan that you are set up in at touring at the moment? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, this is, we're back home uh, in the Bronx and this is the studio that I'm in. Um, wow. Not, it's a bit of a shambles right now because we when we leave for tour we you know we unplug a whole bunch of stuff and yeah it, it all gets kind of strewn about but um but the preamps you see behind me are my old uh 1950s uh, ampex and and uh um, yeah they look pretty sick they look kind of retro especially those ones on the top shelf to your will be to your left on the top on the top yeah, corner yeah, <laughs> yeah Ber- berlant and uh ampex you see a lot of those on the shelves here and groms right here these are the groms ones these two that's amazing yeah and do you get do you like you can obviously tell the sound difference like straight away as soon as you put you stick in the aux cord oh yeah most most certainly do use them for different things i even have um <laughs> i uh i'll just reach over here and show you i have um uh certain certain electrode tubes that are, are uh sort of better at certain things you know um gabrielle for example has this one one old telefunken tube from the 60s that uh that uh, she she sings through whenever i record her and um wow i have i have one for myself and there's one that's better for bass and you know, yeah so I, I swap the tubes out as well yeah that's crazy there's so many variables because now you can just do all that stuff sort of on the laptop can't you but whereas I see no that not really like, yeah. i mean well so so the thing about laptop is is um uh every plugin is using the same math right mm. it's all the same it's all the same algorithmic representation of the sound right um so if i have a pro tools plugin sansamp for example it's the same exact one you have it sounds yeah. it's identical it's literally identical mathematically identical whereas those two preamps on the back shelf here they're the same model and they don't sound the same at all they're 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 quite different from one another, and they won't sound the same as any others on that came off the assembly line either, because right, analog okay. here is kind of, you know, infinitely uh, variant. Who would have known that that would have been in so much depth? Because a commoner like me would have just assumed that you stuck the aux cord straight into the into the amplifier, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Now, if you, I mean, there's lots of, you know, you can make great recordings with stuff that, that isn't this, you know? Yeah. Um, plenty of people do. Uh, but my favorite method is to find something undiscovered uh, yeah. and, and to try and work off of that. Amazing. Well, here, I forgot to say as well to you, and um, before we start it, happy late birthday. I know it was your birthday a couple of days ago, wasn't it? Oh, thanks, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was a few days ago. It was on Monday. Monday, I think. Monday, yeah. And what did you, did you do anything in particular or was it just a quiet I uh, just sat around the house. I, I uh, did a little bit of tidying up. Um, 
Wow, uh, you partied hard. Dogs. <laughs> uh, I walked the dogs. It was the day after returning from tour, so there's always oh, a decompression okay. moment there, you know. Um, I find that when you come off tour, if you try to uh, redirect the, that purposeful energy from the everyday, you know, getting up and playing a show kind of thing. Yeah. Well, you get up, you, you arrive, you get up, you load in, you play a show, you load out. All that stuff, if you try to replace that with something at home, it never really hits the mark and you wind up in this weird sadness. So I've, mm. for many, many, many years now, decades in fact, I've, uh, I've come home and had uh, at least three days to do nothing. Just let, let all that air out. Um, but we have a show tomorrow. Uh, in Manhattan, we're playing uh, in Times Square with uh, Everclear. Oh wow! So that's so amazing. That's, we're not quite finished, and then, and of course, yeah. we're leaving again for the West Coast uh, leg of the Everclear tour, uh, November tenth, I think. Okay, and is that the uh, so is that I think I seen on your Instagram it was uh, the tomorrow tomorrow uh, or no Summerland tour or something was it or was that right? The tour that you yeah, the, the summer well Summerland tour is now over. Um, yeah. That was the package that had Hoobastank and Living yeah. Color on it. That's um, Art Alexakis from Everclear. That's his sort of like festival tour that he's uh, developed okay, over cool. the years. Um, he was kind enough to invite us to. But uh, yeah, the the uh, um, the one we're doing uh, on uh, tomorrow is just a one-off with with Everclear. That's amazing. That'd be so cool. I've never been to New York. Well, I've been to New York. I uh, flew in and it was just a crossover to get my connecting flight to Orlando, um, right. of course. Uh, but uh, yeah, I would always love to go to New York, obviously so much history and stuff like that. And yeah, um, where are you originally from then? What sort of suburb in New York are you from? I grew up uh, about 40, 30 something miles east of Manhattan. Uh, okay. in a place called uh, Northport, which is kind of like, if you're talking about London, it's kind of like the Essex of, of New York. Yeah. Do you right. do an so, Essex accent? <laughs> All right, Treacle. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, my uh, my friend, he's from, he lives out towards Essex Way in Grays, it's called. And um, his dad is a proper East Ender. And, um, okay. The way he talks, I just laugh my head off. Have you ever watched bit, the movie? Bit of a gangster. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And it's like, all right, geezer. And you're just like. <laughs> oh, mate. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is cool. But before we were talking, uh, before we recorded, you said that um, you noticed my accent straight away. You said I was mm. Northern Irish. And I was like, wow, like not many people know that. Like people would either say I'm Scottish or just Irish. And uh, especially I lived in Australia for a while. And uh I got a lot of Scottish, but most Americans just say, "Oh, you're Irish." But you said Northern Irish, and I was quite, uh, was quite impressed by that. <laughs> oh well, thanks, man. Yeah, you know, I mean, we we don't have any excuse. We spend so much time over there in the different regions. You know, where I kind of get screwed up is uh, north in North uh, East England. Hmm. I get a little screwed up if it's York Newcastle versus yeah. Well, no, the Geordies I can always tell. That's almost yeah. Scottish, but. Um, <laughs> or Scottish enough to know that it's Geordie, but, uh, but around the sort of like, um, uh, the black country and, yeah. um, and also in, uh, in, in Yorkshire proper, yeah. uh, and Hull and Huddersfield and those places. So there, there are different little, little quirks to those accents that I don't quite have down yet. 
Yeah, definitely. And what about Skice? Do you know Skice accent? Oh yeah. Well, we have Scouse crew. Oh, do our, you? Uh, our bus company and our and our UK crew are all from Liverpool, so we 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 know that one. We it's we joke around in that one all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy to understand. Um, yeah. Read me book. <laughs> yeah that's actually pretty that's pretty decent for americans saying that um <laughs> but you you toured in ireland as well didn't you i think um you done a gig in well you've probably done loads of gigs there but the one that stood out was in sligo you done a gig oh yeah that was quite uh it was, it was about eight years ago maybe even more than that um 10 maybe that was that was that was a great place we had never been to sligo before but that was a wonderful spot to be yeah um, yeah Sligo and uh, Galway and um, where else the, on the sort of the West Coast is is a little bit more difficult to get to on tour. Um, yeah. But we've done it. Um, but at least you can take in the scenery because it's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. stunning. Yeah. Um, you've actually toured or you've actually done more of Ireland than me. I've literally done Dublin and maybe the northern counties and that's it but it's weird whenever you're like from a certain like country you don't take advantage of all the other things around you isn't do you get that well uh it depends on how much time you have you know yeah true it's kind of it's often very much a hit and run you're there for less than 24 hours in in most cases and uh i think that uh i remember finally uh a place called newry a youth center we had a great show in newry and i had the yeah. best lamb stew of all time in, in oh yes i yeah, love lamb stew proper irish stew yeah it was it was nice <laughs> um, um that's um, funny yeah i've got i've got a good friend from newry and um, they're actually called so if you're from newry you're called a newry knock so i don't know knock. why yeah like a knock like so like skysers from liverpool a newry knock from newry um yeah, yeah. but yeah uh no, that's cool. I, I actually didn't even know that you had came to came to Ireland before because I definitely would have made the effort to come and see you. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Only other we try to of... go. I mean, without the pandemic, we try to go once a year. You know. Yeah. Once well, you every, said every eighteen months. Yeah. You mentioned that you had a family in Ross Common, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. do. Um. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I seen a couple of. Uh, I seen a couple of bands that are obviously in your genre, pop punk. Um with uh the likes of like blink 182 i seen weezer um other kind of pop punk that's have a scene weezer oh i've seen uh, all american rejects as well they were pretty decent oh yeah we uh, yeah yeah they're, I they're a great band um but i would have loved this scene you i'm just putting it out there um <laughs> yeah well one day man i mean it'll happen yeah man. definitely we'll get back to normal after these idiots stop denying that this disease exists <laughs> yeah i know man it's uh it's uh pathetic and the leaders that we have as well all around the oh world oh my god um, but we can't blame anyone because we vote them in <laughs> well yeah it's your own damn fault. well not you, you well you're are you do you vote in the uk northern ireland well see i've only came back from australia and um, so i kind of haven't been voting as much right, as right. i would have liked to um, but I'll definitely be voting next um, in the next vote. And I'll be voting for the UK in the UK elections. Um, I think Boris has uh, run, his, uh, run his time out. Oh, man. Yeah, what a mess. I, I was just talking to our booking agent. You know, I mean, obviously everything becomes, when you're talking about Brexit or whatever, you, everything becomes like, well, what's the practical problem? They had me on 
I was on BBC uh, uh, Politics Live, and I said, you know, this I see this as a problem. The bands will have to fill out an enormous amount of paperwork just to get back and forth across mm-hmm. these new sovereign borders. They didn't seem to want to talk about that, and they certainly didn't want to talk about the having a sovereign border at, in uh, in Northern Ireland and, yeah. and somehow treating it like it's a federal border, which is not going to happen. But um, yeah. but the big but I just in fast forwarding all these years later, very topical conversation with our booking agent. Uh, UK bus companies can no longer make more than three stops in the European Union without returning to their place of origin. Oh, really? So, yeah. So that means that I can no longer hire a UK coach for our entire tour of Europe. That's crap. So it's more money then, isn't it? Crap. It's not just that. It's It's very hard to find a bus company that is you know, worth the money that they charge. And we have mm-hmm. one in, in Liverpool, Star Cruiser Buses. This guy, Paul, my friend Paul um, Coleman. And he he's, you know, Brexit's beating the shit out of him, man. It's just yeah. it's just crazy what they've done. They've shot themselves in the foot, and then they've said, well, well no, we were right. Trust us, and shot themselves in the other foot. <laughs> yeah, I know. There, there was a lot to be about it today, especially with... Uh, with the border um, on the Irish Sea and um, in Northern Ireland and Ireland. But, uh, yeah, God, we could talk about that for ages. I've had so many conversations about Brexit and COVID, and it's like I'm just hitting my head against the wall. I'm sure you probably are too. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, um, kind of uh, getting back to, obviously, yourself and the band, Um I know everyone can just Google stuff, but it's obviously better to hear from the horse's mouth. Um, so with you forming the band, was this, uh, was this, I, I know you formed a band with your brother. How did that like all come about? Did you just, were you always jamming together or sort of how did it fall into well, place? Well, of course, of course we were, uh, since we were kids, you know, playing Rush songs and just trying to figure stuff out together. But, um, with Wheatus, I was alone in the project uh, for about three years. It was about ninety four, late ninety four through uh, through ninety seven. I was working by myself with a four track and a drum machine on different versions of the songs, and um, for album one and album two, and then even, even then more than that. Um, and just trying to find my voice and before I showed anybody what I was working on, I wanted to be sure that I thought it was okay, you know? Um, so I spent that time in the, in the laboratory, if you will. And then my brother graduated college, uh, sometime around, I think it was late 97 Mm -hmm. and we got him in and, uh, and then we started playing shows and that's when it got real. Um, I, I had tried stuff with other musicians before that, that I wasn't really, didn't really feel right yet. Um, and kept going, nah, kind of back to the drawing board, you know, kind of thing. Um, so it was, uh, it was like that. It was very much a, um, a closed process until, until, uh, 97. Yeah. And did you use like, like, I, I can understand, like I've got a couple of friends who are obviously starting off now. Like I've got a, a friend who's a, looking to become a DJ producer and I've got another one who is uh, uh, singing at the moment. He's had a bit more publicity, but like a lot of people don't understand like 
sort of the, the hard work that it takes to obviously get your sound out there. So like, did a promoter approach you or did you put out your sort of albums to different uh, record labels? Uh, no, we, we started playing shows in, in New York, uh, just booking them ourselves with the clubs directly. Um, two clubs in particular, a place called the Luna Lounge and another place around the corner from it called the Mercury Lounge. And we just, um, we made sure that everybody had a place to go afterwards for some kind of like after party kind of thing. And yeah. uh, we made sure it was a good time. And pretty soon we had, you know, lines of people around the block who, who we didn't know. Well, we started with our family and friends. Yeah. Um, and that grew really quickly. Um, I think word of, of the songs and in particular, obviously, Teenage Dirtbag, um, people just were noticing very, very quickly. And it didn't take long. It took about six months before things were starting to kind of get out of our hands you know what i mean it's, so to speak yeah. like it was um and then uh after that and then months after those six months we had record labels coming down to shows um it's not surreal it's like, a little surreal it's it was an interesting ride um i had been in a few bands before and uh bands that had record deals bands that were trying to get record deals i had been through that process several times uh made expensive video and all that stuff prior to Weedus and I, I was a little bit cynical on the process and very, very, very selective. So what would happen was, you know, uh, if somebody from a label approached me, uh, which they did, I would say, well, I'm not sure we're ready for that yet. We're going to, you know, keep, keep selling our own CDs for a little while, but you know, we'll talk to them maybe next year. Yeah. And that really made them want it more. You know, they was like, they thought that, they better get in there quickly. Yeah. And through all that sort of bubbliness was a guy named Kevin Patrick who was at Columbia Records. And he said, um, I want you to, I'm okay with you producing your own record. I know that you're already done with it pretty much. And, yeah. And I said, well, let us, you know, please give us a budget. We'll record it one more time. And that was the fourth time that the album was recorded. So I had done three sort of prototype <laughs> versions of it prior to that. Um, it's a really good album. Thanks, man. Um, yeah. yeah, it was all, all those. All that prototyping was to find the sound, the guitar sound, the drum sound, the the vocal. Where was where was my voice going to be? What kind yeah. of a presentation was it? And I always wanted that aesthetic of the acoustic guitar to be at odds with the sort of uh, overdriven, sort of fuzzy metal guitar sound that I was working on. And yeah, um, that was a weird thing to try and sell. Everybody else was playing a Les Paul or a Fender Strat at the time. Yeah. So, I, I was I was gearing up for something that was a little quirky in its in its aesthetic. Um, well, it's it's definitely quirky because I mean you've got I can hear like the maracas in the background, the keyboards. I mean, like you were kind of like mixing up with like the eighties, and then like this like new age was coming for you, like during the the millennium. Like it was weird. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's I, an interesting. It's interesting that you should notice that a lot of people don't really point that out. Is that there are a lot of the bands at the time, Green Day and. Um, Blink-182, uh, and of course Nirvana before that, they were all these three-piece bands. And there was yeah. tons of three-pieces, Alkaline Trio, and like all this, all these really good three-pieces, trios. And of course my favorite band, Rush, is a trio. But <laughs> I didn't want a trio at all. I, I wanted a sort of more eclectic, like a four-piece. I wanted to add a horn section and 
backing vocalists. Yeah. I wanted like keyboards and and I wanted to stay away from that um, contemporary like moment in pop yeah. with you know the visual of three people. And yeah, the label wasn't too happy about that. They pushed for it to be three over and over <laughs> again, but we we defied them, and now we're eight. Yeah, I know. I've seen that you have a lot. You've got like your your own mini sort of orchestra going. <laughs> um, but no, I can I can appreciate that. Like I have read a couple of articles as well about um like some problems that you've had with like record uh, companies in the past, and like it seems like you've always like stuck your to your own guns, which is amazing because it's more authentic then instead of being like something artificial. Yeah, you know, I don't want to take any any kind of credit for that. I've always found it easier to. Um, just it's, it would be harder to fake it. It'd be harder to be something that they wanted me to be. That's the yeah. real challenge. And there's lots of people who are really good at that, by the way. I don't begrudge them. I think it's pretty interesting that there are people who can, who can maneuver in the system that way. It's great. Um, can we name and shame? No, it's not, it's, it's not <laughs> shame. It's just, you know, it's just a different, you know, they just do a different thing. You know, they, they just don't do this weird producer gig that I do. I mean, I'm sure that they're not rifling through boxes looking at the different tubes from west germany you know what i mean <laughs> like, so yeah. so i just i do my weird little thing and they do their thing and it's just different you know different yeah vibe. i love that though because it's so much more authentic and it means you're actually like getting your hands dirty as well whereas like you could be like one of these assholes who sit in the beverly hills flipping <laughs> and someone else do it <laughs> well it, the job description in weedus is find out what needs to be done and do it <laughs> And, yeah. and do it do it right <laughs> learn how to do it right so it's like that we we are constantly have, literally have dirty hands all the time um yeah. and uh we load our own gear we set up our own drum kit we you know everything is uh very self-sufficient which is one of the reasons that we've kind of trucked along and survived because if we had a manager and all that overhead and we had um you know a crew that we had to retain and all that stuff it would never yeah. work financially it just wouldn't yeah and i mean coming back to a uh, teenage dirtbag um like you don't know like that like that song is just like oh you obviously do know like i don't know why i'm saying this this is me kind of like geeking out now over like oh, I'm <laughs> um <laughs> that song is like just like amazing did you know it was amazing when writing it, or did you just think that there was like other songs in the album that were better um no well, i had it i had i knew that it was a really strong story and then the narrative was very clear. Yeah. Um, and I uh, also was a little bit afraid of that because um, that made me feel like somebody might try to steal it or something like that. So I was really kind of protective of it from the from the get-go, as well mm -hmm. as the other songs. Um, but I also knew that just because you have something good doesn't mean that something good will happen with it. So the cynicism from earlier experiences was really kind of baked in. And mm -hmm. so I was like, yeah, okay, it's cool and people love it and there's people we don't know singing lyrics and we don't even have a record deal, but let's just keep hold on to your horses for a second there. Don't count your chickens, you know, like let's let's be very level headed about this. Because yeah. I had seen other things go like, Oh, yeah, it's gonna be great and then it wasn't, you know. So um yeah. yeah, I was a little bit cynical about my own project that way. So Well, that song as well, um, I don't think many people know the actual backstory to it, um, and which is kind of weird because I always just assumed that it was like I, I always thought that it was like, oh, you 
you were Jason Biggs from fucking loser during your high school years and some guy was a dick to you, but it's not, that's nothing to do with that. <laughs> no, 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 my, my high school years were infinitely more boring than that. I went to a boys school, uh, was, you know, uh, closer to the city than it was to my own home. Yeah. Uh, and I, it wasn't a boarding school of any sort. It wasn't posh. It was working class. So it was like the people who went there, we took the train, mm. uh, you know, com- commuted on the Long Island Railroad um, with the construction workers and the stockbrokers and shit that went into the city, and um, we yeah. got a we got off a couple stops early, but uh, that that was what that was what it was, and there was no girls. It was you know, so it was like, you know, really, really just a sort of lonely and uh, nothing yeah. going on kind of kind of existence. Yeah, I bet you have strong arms after it though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say man <laughs> um yeah w- with the uh the the backstory it was something like um it was uh, in at the back of your well not directly at the back of your house but it was the force behind your house um there was like some sort of sat- satanic ritual or something from high school kids and yeah, they killed there someone a, uh, yeah there was a murder in my hometown when i was 10 um, wow. uh happened about a block block or two away from from the woods behind my house um, yeah. and Northport was, has these patches of woods more back then, but still. And, uh, the kids used to, you usually never take the road, especially if you were doing something illicit, you'd walk through the woods, you know, mm. behind the houses. And, um, it was in that network, uh, of sort of forest that, that, uh, these two, uh, 17 and 18 year old, kids lured their 17 year old friend into the woods and stabbed him to death um it was supposed to be over a drug deal but he was, he was satan worship involved and it's a really dark and weird story yeah uh, and it you know i was 10 years old and i was walking around with this tape case full of acdc and this kid got arrested wearing the acdc shirt he was on wow. the cover of the newspaper it changed things remarkably that's insane that is crazy. Um, and then wasn't it in the newspaper? It was it said teenage dirtbag or something, and then that's where you. No, it was like, um the the first time I've ever seen the word dirtbag in print, was in the Rolling Stone article, uh, okay, that came out that covered the story. Yeah. Uh, Rolling Stone was uh is is called uh I think it's called Kids in the Dark um, and uh. uh something about remember it is it's november november 22nd 1984 that's the date of the rolling stone issue that covered the murder wow Um, that's coming up soon yeah yeah um pretty extensive uh article on it by gary breskin who he didn't just occurred to me he did in years after reading it several times, he might not have known how to present this story, so he simply transcribed the dialogue from the kids in the in the neighborhood. And the mm-hmm. first time I ever saw the word "dirtbag" in print, in the sort of period correct vernacular of Northport at the time, was yeah. in that Rolling Stone article. And he hyphenated it, "dirt hyphen bag," but I <laughs> yeah. think. I think it's better as one word, but that's just my opinion. Um, 
but uh, but that was a common word back then, and it meant uh, metalhead or Satan guy or you know scumbag or whatever. That's uh, it's crazy how like something like that tragic can like obviously bring something like into like light. Like obviously that song's amazing, and and that sort of like just clicked with you with like that sort of phrase. Um, and you hear like about it with like a lot of successful people, um, like the creator of Nike, like he was just like reading through like some papers and then he just followed the word Nike um, because I think it was something to do with uh, Greek mythology. And I was just like, yeah. like, it's just insane how stuff like that can just like happen, like just by click of a finger and you're just like, oh, that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Um, I never, uh, you know, you so much of your life when you're younger you're just not in control of and you don't feel that kind of control over it anyway so trying to apply a sort of sense to it all after the fact is a little at odds with like oh yeah there was always a plan that you were going to be a musician and blah blah blah. it's like not really like there's plenty of other kids from northport who didn't become musicians you know (laughs) like who went through worse than i did you know so um yeah yeah I, i i guess there's always that feeling of like well it has a lot more to do with luck and chance yeah true and um moving them um, on from the actual song because i'm sure you probably get asked fifty thousand questions about song all the time um <laughs> i'll ask you some fun questions it. i don't mind it it's, it doesn't bother <laughs> me at all um like who would be like sort of um who would have been like your idols like whenever you were um at the early stages of um of the band and you were starting to release songs like did you look uh, at like well at the time that at the time that we were making the first record i was listening to a lot of ani defranco indigo girls soul coughing everclear uh tom petty mm. um what else quicksand helmet uh some hardcore bands from new york fugazi um willie nelson yeah. Simon and Garfunkel, Paul Simon's solo stuff, um, the Graceland album and Rhythm of the Saints, those two. Yeah. Um, and we were trying to find a lot of hip hop. I was listening to LL Cool J a lot. Um, uh, what else? It seems like you, you like, you've got a good sort of mixture of everything. You're a bit like me. Well, New York, you know, in New York, you get a, get a lot of different cross pollination. Yeah. There's a lot of different cultures floating around here. A lot of the mixtapes that got passed around my high school had Public Enemy on them. Mm. Um, De La Soul, uh, along with Metallica, Megadeth, yeah. you know, Mr. Bungle, um, stuff like that. So, um, you know, just weird eclectic stuff that was edgy was hard to come by in the 80s because there was no internet and it got passed around and made a bigger impression when you when you yeah. got your hands on it you know um but yeah it was during the making of the record i was trying to reconcile my sort of like sensibilities for what rock, rock records should sound like metallica acdc rush with my songwriting inclinations which were like Ani defranco and and uh indigo girls and um you know willie nelson that kind yeah. of stuff um yeah, and a lot and a lot of self-deprecation too. Did you um like whenever you were obviously like you were in the charts, did you feel like you were like competing with like other like 
um, sort of pop punk bands like the likes of like Sum Forty One or like Blink One Eighty Two, or did you see them as you? Not really. I I always felt that uh, that grouping us in with with those bands was uh, something that that had to be done at the time because that was the way that the music industry was, but that w- didn't really tell a lot about us. Um, you know, we're we're not our influences weren't weren't directly punk they were more hardcore and pop and hip hop uh yeah. and metal so when you talk about punk sex pistols kind of stuff new york dolls um the clash uh yeah. those you know the older sort of original punk influences my punk influences were more like the pixies and husker du bob mold solo stuff band called walt mink um Stuff that had punk ethos in some, or punk aesthetic and ethos, but didn't have the sort of like, you only need to know two chords kind of thing, you know. Um, yeah. Like, I, I always was drawn toward people who could really play well. So, back then, in the 80s, that was a sort of a stark divide between progressive rock and metal kids and punk kids. <laughs> punk, punk vibe was that you shouldn't be that good at your instrument. And the the progressive and metal vibe was that you should, and I always felt like they should combine. They should be like that. Why not like have, why not stop playing the ch- cheesy metal shit and, but just play punk well. <laughs> so so pop punk came out of that, I guess, and we got we were there at the same time. But I think you know that our record really doesn't sound that much like a typical pop punk record. Not, no. not. It, there's a few songs that kind of tip the hat at that, but like, like Sunshine's not a pop punk song. No. You know, Dirtbag is a laconic sort of hip hop tempo. I don't mm. know why that gets grouped into the sort of like forward leaning. Do you think it's stuff. because of the? I always thought it was because of the movie with Jason Biggs, and then obviously American Pie had all the pop punk songs in it, and then perhaps kind of just got. Yeah, that's what I always thought it was. Sure. Sure. I mean that's. That's going to all the stuff I was talking about, like you can't really control as a musician and you don't try to, you know? Yeah, okay. So you're just along for the ride on all that. Whatever they call you, that's what they wind up calling you, you know? Yeah. What about the uh, cover that you don't know of, uh, Erasure? Um, a little respect. Like, that was so case, wrong. Case in point, case in point, that has absolutely nothing to do with pop punk. Um, it's yeah. sort of a dance, you know, shoegazer dance song from the UK, um, Brit pop kind of thing. Uh, that music was really kind of big in my world. I had been in a band called Hope Factory, and the singer from that band was really into the Britpop movement of the late 80s, early 90s. So we're talking Stone Roses and uh, Ride and um, Oasis, of course, and um, uh, bands like Curve and Echo Belly and um, Susie and the Banshees and that kind of like all that stuff uh smith um ned's atomic dustbin was another one um efm um or emf emf yeah efm is our shipping company efm <laughs> is the uh, uh emf is the ecstasy motherfuckers i think which was a band that the jesus jones was another one so all these yeah. like sort of uh shoegazy pop acts that came out adorable was another band um came out of the uk boo radley's all that stuff was sort of i got a good 
dose of that from my friend Allie in the band Hope Factory. Um, and Erasure and Depeche Mode were sort of like the sort of the pop prevalent uh, touchstones of that movement where I was from, there was a radio station called WDRE that played that music, um, all the time. Yeah. And you know, that was, I thought it was the shit. And so, <laughs> you know, a little respect for such a wonderful, beautiful song. We played it live at our shows in, in New York before we got signed. And, um, uh, you know, our, uh, A&R guy wanted us to put it on the record. So that was like, kind of like the one, thing we did for the company that they wanted on the first album and i kind of agreed with it i was like yeah that's cool we'll put that on there yeah it's a great song and um, i love their song oh the Mer. it's so good oh yeah it's uh, probably one of my favorites um yeah chains of love as well is a wonderful song yeah it's a good song too yeah they're very they're very good i i uh, actually tried to reach out to them to try and get them on but i think they're um they're bricked up at the moment that's another thing that's annoying trying to get people on um with we were talking about management before um there's so many requests but there's only obviously so much time that artists like yourself can give out to people so um but i'm really grateful that you were able to do this so thanks very much for for coming on and having a having a chat with me uh well, thanks for having me man um what is uh just to finish out what's the sort of future plans uh, are you um thinking of releasing another album soon He's well more we, we were surprised getting called out on tour by everclear we definitely surprised us so we um we put the re-record of album one on hold so we're gonna get back to that as soon as we possibly can um we've got eight songs from from that batch out of 20 that are on spotify right now teenage dirtbag 2020 is one of them Seen that. Um, along with a few others uh, from what we call the Lost Songs series. So there's like a sort of an alternate universe version of our first record that we're recording at the same time that we're recording the original one over again. And mm. um, so that when we finish, we offer like 20 tunes to people. Um, it was supposed to be 20 songs in 2020 on the 20th anniversary. And then we had uh, COVID-19 COVID had other plans. So... Um, <laughs> You know, uh, but uh, we're we're gonna get there. We're gonna finish it up soon enough. Um, I'm gonna try and finish it by Christmas, but that's gonna be tough. Uh, yeah. You know, with the with all this touring, I didn't think that we would go past the summer. I thought we'd be back, but now we're going back to the West Coast again. So there's more touring to do, and we love doing that. So yeah, but yeah. but 20 songs from us uh, eventually. There's a movie coming out. Uh, called uh, You Might Die, which is about us, a uh, documentary that these guys in the UK have been working on for a while now. Um, they started touring around with us in 2010, I think. Um, and they've caught bits and bobs all, all through the years. Uh, stories coming together. Last cut I saw of it was pretty great, I think. Um, not necessarily flattering toward me, but a real documentary wouldn't be now, would it? Um, and uh and also uh we got another complete original record album seven uh i think two or three of the songs from that one are already online one of them is called michelle it's on our live record and uh, the other two are lullaby and tipsy and uh we're gonna finish that out eight more tunes on that and drop another record um so we're just trying to get it all done as fast as we can you know yeah 
Well, I'm sure that it'll be amazing, and I'll definitely be looking out for it. And, oh, and um, most most immediately, we're playing New York City tomorrow, and then we're going to the West Coast uh, November 11th through the 22nd. We're playing a bunch of West Coast states with uh, Everclear, so um, that's that's immediate. Yeah, that's exciting. That's amazing. But um, yeah, listen, thank you so much for for doing this, Brandon, and um, had a blast, and definitely have you back on again. Hopefully, maybe um, after you've settled down after all this touring or stuff like that, see what's going on. Um, Maybe we can brush up on some of your accents as well. (laughs) 